Good morning. My name is Justin, and it is an absolute honor and privilege to be here. As Drew said, it has been almost two years of conversations. It has been, I look back, 16 months or so since Candace, my family, and I, we moved back to San Antonio, and that I stepped onto this team, this staff here at Northeast, and it was for one, one purpose, one dream, one prayer, and that was that one day that we were going to see a church launched for the glory of God, a church that didn't exist was going to step into existence. And church, how cool is it that in seven days, that that prayer, that, that, that hope, that vision becomes reality? Amen. Amen. Well, I'm, I'm excited to be here. I'm glad you're here. If you've been with us for the last several weeks, you know that we've been on a bit of a journey. Uh, we've been on a journey through the first couple chapters of Genesis. And if you haven't been here with us, maybe if you're new or a guest, first of all, welcome. Uh, maybe you've just missed a couple of our weeks. Let me do this. I want to just fly by, get us all caught up on where we've been and kind of set the stage for where we're going. So when we got started, we saw God being good, creating everything out of nothing, creating everything, universe, the earth, the trees, the fish, the animals, humanity, and he created man and woman in his very image, right? In the image of God, we, we looked at that, and, and we saw a glimpse of paradise, Paradise. Now, my copy of the Bible uh, has around a little over 1,300 pages, okay? It took, Paradise lasted about two. And then all of a sudden, Genesis 3 happened. We call Genesis 3 the fall. The fall where, where Adam and Eve uh, chose to disobey, to disobey God, and for the first time, Sin was introduced, injected into the history of mankind. And then from there, we saw it didn't take long for things to go very bad. Where there once was perfection that was lost to pain. Get this, a perfect relationship between a man and woman. Adam and Eve had that. And in a moment, shame was introduced. And the relationship began to broke down. Think of it a step further. The relationship between God and man that was, that was designed to be intimate. In a moment, separation, guilt, sin began to show up. Uh, the bodies that were created for mankind that weren't supposed to taste death were now, in a moment, slowly decaying and facing all of the wonderful things uh, that comes with mortality, Right? And that reality that started there in the garden is the reality that now we know and we just call everyday life. That happened, Genesis 3. And this morning, what I want to do, we're going to continue on in our narrative, but we're going to see the way the fall in Genesis 3 has a very real, tangible impact on our lives today. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis 4 this morning. Church, there are certain texts that I believe hit close to home 
And I believe we're dealing with one of those texts this morning. So as we journey through this, if you're here and you feel like, oh, that hits a little close, just know you're not alone. Because I feel like God has something for us this morning specifically. And here's the goal. As we, as we walk out of this room, my hope, my prayer is that through it all that we're going to see the beauty of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in a tangible way. That's my hope. That's my prayer. Let me pray for us and then we'll dive in. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you that, you that our Bibles don't stop at Genesis 3. God, give us wisdom. Direct our hearts and our focus on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's get started. Genesis 4. We're picking up in a story about Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. And I just want to jump right into it. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore a son, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel brought, also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. So let's pause here. We see Adam and Eve, life after the garden. Life after the garden. Life after the fall. They start to have kids. They have Cain, their firstborn. They have Abel, their second. And as time goes on, these kids get jobs. We see Cain working the ground. We see Abel working with livestock. And then a point in time comes where these brothers are going to offer an offering to God. Now, we don't know much about this offering, although other than that we know it came from their work. So for Cain, who worked the ground, he brought the fruits of the ground. For Abel, who worked with the livestock, he brought livestock. Now, what's interesting, though, is God's response to their offerings. For Abel, he said, yes. For Cain, he said, no. For the fruit of the ground, he said, no. And for the meat and the livestock, he said, yes. Why? We look at that. We, why on earth, God? What, what was that? Do you not like vegetables? What is going on here that made you deny Cain but accept Abel? And the, the reality is that from this text, it is largely unclear, and I know that's not a help to you at all, but if you were to leave this room and you were to study this passage more and you were to grab some commentaries and you're just looking at this passage, what you'll see is we have nothing but speculation on why God chose not to accept Cain and chose to accept Abel. Was it, was it Cain? Was it Cain's offering? Was it the gift? Was it the giver? Was it both? We don't know. Here's the reality, though. The reason for God's rejection of Cain's offering is not the point of the text. Because so quickly, this text points our focus back on Cain's response, his reaction to what God says. And Cain's 
anger is, is actually the first indication of where he is going. Uh, let's pick it up. Verse 6 says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Now, I absolutely love this verse because it is absolutely packed. It is packed. We start with God responding to Cain's facial expressions. That, that the, the things, the anger, the jealousy, whatever is going on in Cain is so prevalent that he's wearing it on his face. And so God sees it and says, what has caused your face to fall? What are you wearing? And isn't it true, though, that we can relate to this, that sometimes the anger, the jealousy, the sin, the temptation, whatever we're going through has a way of finding itself on our face, changing our countenance a little bit? That's what was going on here with Cain as his anger, the text says, was beginning to consume him. Now, listen to God's words. They are, in verse 7, they are words of incredible, incredible hope, but yet at the same time, warning. He says, first, if you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Meaning, Cain, turn back to me. Turn back to me, and when you do, you will be accepted. If you do well, Cain, I will accept you back. This was a message telling Cain, there is still hope. Whatever it was that that God rejected Cain for, God was saying, Cain, turn back to me. And when you do, you will find acceptance. But then he goes to a warning. And I want to spend some time with this because I love this imagery. He says, sin is crouching at the door. Sin is crouching at the door. Sin is compared to an animal. A fierce, I want you to use your your imaginations, imaginations here. A fierce animal, hungry, fierce, crouching, about to pounce on its prey. About to devour its lunch. Okay, okay, that's what sin is called. But notice the door in this analogy. Sin is crouching at the door. God, it's like God is saying, Cain, behind that door is a fierce and angry animal that is pouncing, and if you open it, Cain, it will devour you. Cain, don't open the door. Don't open the door, Cain. You have the choice here to step back and keep that door closed. Cain, don't open the door. It's like at the zoo. I love going to the zoo. My family, we've always loved going to the zoo. But as you walk and you see the animals, you see some doors that say, do not enter. And because I'm mischievous, I always want to open that door. Um, But you know that that's for the zookeepers to have access to the animals, right? They go in there, they feed them. They, they handle the dangerous, sometimes dangerous animals in there. Well, I want you to picture this, this imagery, okay? It's like you're standing at the door that says, do not enter. And right behind the door is a lion. Pound, they're ready to pounce. Hungry, angry, fierce, um, hangry. Those of you who don't know what hangry is, hungry, angry, anyway. Um, 
a hangry lion is right behind that door. Don't open the door. It wants lunch. And you don't want to be the lunch. So don't open the door. God is, is giving this incredible warning. And we can just stop here for a moment. and Church, let's not open the door. Already from this we can see, in fact it's a good rule of thumb, to throw a padlock on the door if all possible. Because I have little kids and they don't read the do not enter sign, they just open it. Lock the door while you're at it. But church, do not open the door because behind that door is a beast that is ready to devour. And God is warning, don't open the door, Cain. And in this moment, Cain is faced with a decision. Do I listen and trust that God's, what he is saying is right, or do I give in to this burning anger that's just all over my face? Do I give in, and do I open the door? Let's see what he does. Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. That door was flung wide open, wide open. Uh, Don't lose sight of this. This was cold-blooded murder of a brother. The text says he talked to him first, meaning that relationship, and then he went away, and then cold-blooded murder, he chose to kill him. That anger that was on his face, he decided to put into action and he killed his brother. And let's, let's consider something for a moment. What did killing his brother accomplish? It, it, God didn't reject Cain's offering because of his brothers. And we know that because God says, if you do well, then you will find acceptance. It's not has nothing to do with his brother. But in the midst of that, Cain says, you know what? I'm just going to let all this anger just lead me to this action. And more than that, it, not only did it not fix the problem, it did nothing but add to the problem for Cain. Did nothing but add to the problem. Isn't it true that sin leads us to absolutely irrational actions? This action had no reasoning behind it whatsoever. This did nothing for Cain. In fact, it led him even further. And um, Cain, in all reality, has flung the door wide open and is staring at the beast on the other side. And let's continue. Number, uh, verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, like father, like son. Cain has picked up what happened in in chapter 3, and he has just continued on in that legacy. 
Cain took over where his dad left off, and he is running with this legacy of sin. It feels, if you, as you read that, it should feel a lot like the way God responded to Adam and Eve, doesn't it? Where God steps in after they have uh, disobeyed and after they have sinned, and, and then God steps in and asks them a question. And it's not like God didn't know the answer, right? He asks them this question almost like he's giving them an opportunity, a space to repent or to be broken. Notice, with Adam and Eve, there's a difference between the way they responded, though. For Adam and Eve, when God did this to them, he said, where have you been? What have you done? Adam, notice, admits his sin. Now, he does blame the woman that you gave to me. Not a great idea. But he admits it, right? Cain's response is a little different. Cain's response, and when he is when he is asked by God, is to lie. Is to say, I don't know where he is. Yes, you do, Cain. He's right where you left him. You know where he is, but he lied. And let's just think about this. Cain lies to an all-knowing, all-powerful creator God. Did he think that God had lost track, of Cain, uh, lost track of Abel. Did he think he just couldn't find him? It was like, Cain, can you help me? I'm looking for him. No. It, it, somehow, do you think it was running through his mind that this is going to end well? I'm going to slip this one by. Don't worry. God won't get me on this one. Here's the thing, though. Isn't it the same thing we do when we try to justify our sin before God? When we come to him, it's not as bad as that. I didn't do that. I didn't go all the way there. At least I didn't do that. Um, it's not really my fault because of this. And we start just blech. The same way Cain did. Here's the deal. Sin not only leads us to irrational actions, but it completely clouds our judgment. And we see it on display here with Cain as he not only kills his brother, which did nothing to fix his problem, but then he lies about it to an all-knowing God. It's not going well. Let's look at verse 13 where Cain responds. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face, and I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. First of all, Cain is right. This punishment was too much for him to bear. Cain is absolutely right. Uh, Cain is saying, you're driving me away from my home. You're driving me away from your face. Cain, remember was created in the image of God. He was created to have a perfect relationship with God. And in this moment, you see separation coming into their relationship. This was a punishment that he could not bear. And so relationship was being replaced with this separation. But as I read this, and maybe you noticed this too, do you notice something weird 
about Cain's response? Do you notice something maybe off about Cain's response? Keep in mind, he is a cold-blooded murderer. And he didn't murder someone he, he just, you know, got mad at one time. He murdered his brother in cold blood. What I noticed, where is Cain's remorse? Where is his brokenness for what just happened? Um, Cain is, is clear. He, he calls out the severity of his judgment or of his punishment, which, like we said, is perfectly acceptable, Right? It was an awful punishment, and so he, he talks about the severity of it. But notice what's missing. There doesn't seem to be brokenness here. Hear me. Sometimes one of the best indicators of your spiritual condition of your heart is your response to your sin. I'll repeat that. Sometimes the best indicator of the spiritual condition of your heart is your response to your sin. What does your sin drive you to do? Does it drive you to run from God or does it drive you to run to Him? What does, how do you respond to the sin in your, in your life? To cover and run from God shows that we have a misunderstanding of the heart of God. That we have completely misunderstood the gospel that says, I came so that you could have my righteousness. I took your sin. You don't have to clean yourself. When God looks at you, he sees my righteousness. Jesus is calling that over us. And when we sin and we allow that to force us to run, it shows that we've misunderstood the gospel completely, but when our sin drives us to run to him, it shows our confidence in him for what he has done. It shows that we have understood the heart of our loving father who creates those spaces for us to be broken and to come to him in repentance. But what is Cain's response? He hides it, and he covers it. He lies about it, and he says, my punishment is too much. And let's finish this this in verses 15 and 16. The Lord responds to him. He says, and the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Now notice even in the punishment and rebuke, you see God's grace and mercy, which is just incredible. But in spite of that, we still see the punishment remains. Let's look at verse 16. It says, then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So Cain, who had a perfect relationship with God, unbroken by sin, in a moment was now being driven away from the very presence of God. We see in this story a picture of life after the garden. 
Life after Genesis 3, we see the brokenness continue. We see a picture of what we know as reality today. Um, The apple did not fall far, far from the tree, did it? It didn't. It didn't take long for the sin of the dad to be passed on to the sin of the child. It didn't take long. And all of us here today are products of this. All of us here today are products of this because all of us as as humans have been handed this bend, this propensity, this brokenness from Adam, and it's been passed on and on and on. Let me give you some examples. Have you ever wondered why you never have to teach your children selfishness? Why is it that no parent in all of history has ever struggled to teach their kid the word mine? I want you to picture this. Um, Parents, you might relate to this. Why is it that none of our kids are wired to be patient? How many times have we been juggling 78 things? We're paying a bill, we're on hold with someone, we're cleaning the kitchen, vacuuming with our foot, that kind of thing, that's going on. And all of a sudden, our child realizes, I need a chocolate milk. Not only do I need it, I need it to happen now. And it is vital to my health. Why is it that in no child in all of history has ever in that moment walked up and said, Mommy, you know what? I see that you're really busy. <laughs> I see that you have a lot of things. So my chocolate milk, I'll wait till you're off the phone, okay, Mom? That has never, ever happened. Why, teachers, do you never have to teach cheating? Never. Never have to teach cheating. Why is it that other than Jesus Christ himself, not one person in all of the history of humanity has lived a sinless life? You would think that one of us would have gotten this thing right. Why is it that we never have to teach sin? It's because we come with it pre-installed. We come with it pre-installed. It's our brokenness. It's our fallenness. This is a gift from Adam. It's a gift of Genesis 3. Adam's legacy lives on through his sons. It's been passed on through generations, and now it's been passed to us. And now hear me. If you've been not listening at all, shame. But now... (laughs) I need you to hear this. When we read stories or watch movies, we typically want to put ourselves in the shoes of one of the characters. We typically find someone we try to relate to them in that when we watch Superman, Superman guys, we're like, my biceps could handle that maybe. You just kind of put yourself there, right? God is calling us to do that in this story. There is a character that we need to relate to, and here's the reality. All of us are Cain. By nature and by choice, all of us are Cain and can relate to him. Every one of us has opened the door. um, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, right, and fall short of the glory of God. Meaning, you are Cain. Adam opened the the door, and now every person that has come after him has walked out that legacy. 
that legacy. We, it, it's our reality today. We feel this reality. We see this reality in ourselves. We see this reality in our kids. We see this reality in our friends. We see this reality even in this room. We feel this reality that something is just not right. And like Cain, there is sin crouching on the other side of the door, and we have gladly opened it. For some of us in this room, uh, we're dealing right now with blatant sin, just blatant sin. We know it's destroying us, whether it be sexual sin, addiction, uh, greed. We, we know exactly the sins that are, are battling us. For some of us, though, we're dealing with less blatant or more acceptable sins. We're dealing with, with just anger, gluttony, slander, things like this. And all of us here have opened the door. Because of that, follow me, each one of us are deserving of Cain's punishment. Including the big one, which is separation from God himself. Each one of us are deserving of that. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. We are Cain and we deserve Cain's punishment because God's standards have not changed. God's holiness, he hasn't become less holy. So we are Cain, you are Cain, this is your reality, this is your punishment. And some of you are here and you're saying, well, this is encouraging. (laughs) Not done, not done. When we understand the truth of our condition, when we fully understand who we are apart from Christ, then we can actually begin to see the beauty of the gospel. When we understand the truth of who we are, we can better grasp the beauty of Jesus Christ. In order for us to know the fullness of God's grace, we need to know the fullness of our need for it. And the moment we believe that we don't need it is the moment we have misunderstood it completely. Uh, Martin Luther said once, and I love this, only when you admit that you are worthy of hell can you be ready for heaven. When we understand the truth of our condition, we can begin to see the beauty of the gospel. And the truth is that we are Cain, that you are Cain, that this is your reality, your condition, and therefore your punishment, but God. I want to read something to you. I'm not going to put this on the screen uh, because I just want you to just listen to these words. It comes out of Ephesians 2. It says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Praise God for verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But God stepped in. We did nothing to earn it. We didn't meet him halfway. This wasn't like a, um, I'll meet you over there halfway situation. It wasn't a, well, at least I'm better than that kind of situation. This was an I was dead situation, but you saved me. Um, this may sound strange, but dead things don't save themselves. Dead things do not save themselves, but praise God, God saves dead things. And we stand on the but God. And church, as we, as we wrestle with this, I want to kind of bring before you three things from this text that I think as we understand that we are Cain, that these three things we should see in our lives. Let's jump in. Number one, understanding that we are Cain will destroy your self-righteousness. It will destroy your self-righteousness. Paul says no one can boast in this. Not one person can boast in this because the only difference between you and the worst sinner that you can imagine is God's grace. You are dead. And what, it makes no sense for us to boast in our deadness because somehow we feel that we're less dead than that dead over there. Makes no sense. Dead is dead. There is no place for self-righteousness in the family of God. There is no place for it. Why? Because we are all Cain. We are deserving punishment, but God. Say something else that might sound obvious. Dead things don't become not dead things without divine intervention. Dead things can't try real hard to become less dead. They can't muster enough resolve to come alive. No. Dead things are dead. This sounds real elementary, but sometimes it helps. But praise God, God saves dead things. And understanding this will kill your self-righteousness. Number two, understanding that we are Cain will lead us to care about the legacy that you leave behind. It's going to lead us to care about what we're leaving behind. As we saw in this story, the apple did not fall far from the tree. And as we see this, it, we should care deeply about what we leave behind. For parents, this is a very easy application. You have sets of eyes watching your every move. They see the way you handle pain and disappointment. They see the way you love. They see your heart for serving. They see your heart for each other. They see your heart for the church. The most powerful environment for discipleship is the home, be it for the good or the bad. The most powerful environment for discipleship is your home. We should care greatly about what we leave behind. But this applies more than just to parents. Each one of us right now are in the process of leaving a legacy. 
And we should care greatly about what we leave behind to our office, to our friends, to our church, to your school, to your community, that we should be a people who care. As Drew said, Stono, we launch uh, next week, and we have incredible, some incredible teams. And I'm not just saying that. We do have some great people, great teams. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this. I have a favorite one. Our children's team is incredible. And if there was ever a visual of what leaving a legacy looked like, we get to see it every week. They're the ones that are teaching your children about Jesus this morning. And that's just one example. But we should be people who care greatly about the legacy that we leave. We can see the way Cain continued in the the sins of his fathers. And some of you, you might be here and you've been handed a very difficult bag. You've been handed some baggage from your family. It did not go well as you were raised. And right now you're terrified that, that you'll pass that on to the people around you or to your kids. Uh, hear me, you are not doomed to repeat the sins of your mom and dad. You are not doomed to let that define you because God can step in and forever change your family tree. There is hope for us in Christ. And if you're here and you're weighed down, grab to that hope. What is being passed to you and what are you passing along because we if we understand we are Cain should care greatly about what we pass because God redeems and he saves dead things number three understanding that we're Cain will move you to show grace to the other Cains in your life it's going to move you to care about the other Cains because here's the reality I don't know how else to say this, but you have no right to be graceless. None. Not with the grace that you've been shown. You have no right to be graceless. And it breaks my heart that for so many people, the church has earned this reputation of being a place of judgment. Uh, and I know, we know this for several reasons, but one of the reasons is we did a study on what is the main reasons that people in our community don't come to church. And one of the top reasons was because they feel like the church is judgmental to their, their past sins and their present sins. Now, if we're honest, um, we've failed in this so often. We really have. We can be honest about that. We have failed in this so often. They see the way we treat each other. They see the way we talk to each other, better yet, about each other on our Facebook pages. They see this. And it's earned for us this reputation. And listen, if you're here and that's your feeling toward the church, I want to apologize and just say we don't always get it right. But God, thankfully, uh, we don't always get it right. But listen, apart from the grace of God, we are all Cain. Each one of us in this room. And this should drive us to show grace. We show grace by holding our tongue, by holding our judgment, by handling difficult situations with love, by continually reminding ourselves that we are broken people in need of grace, that we should care greatly about what we leave behind and that 
more than that, that we should show compassion and grace toward others because of what we have been handed. Now, here in a moment, I want us to just end with a time of prayer. And as we do, I want this to be a response time for us. Uh, Maybe you're here and you just need to repent of an attitude or a sin. You know you've opened the door and you just want to repent of that and you need this space to do it. Maybe you're here and you are just confused of what's going on right now. And you just need to pray for some clarity. Maybe you're here and you're getting clarity and you realize that you are living separated right now from God. And that for the first time things are making sense. That Jesus came so that you don't have to endure Cain's punishment. Maybe that is you this morning. Um, wherever you are, I want to invite you to join with me as we, as we pray this morning. And I want to pray that God just moves in each one of us. Would you pray with me? God, thank you again for your word. Thank you for speaking to us and, and sh- revealing things in us. More than that, God, thank you that you did not leave us where we deserve to be left. But God, you stepped in being rich in grace and mercy and you provided us a way. Now God, in the, these moments, I pray that wherever we are, that you begin to step in that you begin to reveal things in our lives. God, we repent of our sin. God, we pray that you step in and you show us our need for you. Maybe we've never followed you before in our lives and now this is the moment where you're breaking down walls. Maybe we've followed you all of our lives, Father. But in this moment, you are showing us even more deeply the beauty of the good news that's found in your Son. God, we love you, and I pray that as we leave here that you remind us of your goodness and your grace more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.